thank you so much for your words. We pray them, although sometimes difficult to be with, be with us as we work out this meeting. We pray that you would take my words and search them to your Lord. Amen. So, first glance, you might be forgiven for thinking that today's passage is about rules. Where we're at, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, they successfully given Pharaoh his army to slip, and now they're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. I mean, reading the previous chapter, Exodus 19, how God has started to speak to Moses via a cloud on the top of the mountain, and how he's given Moses instructions to bring the people to the foot of the mountain, whilst only Moses goes up to talk to God.
And I guess it's kind of like God's response to a people that perhaps needed a bit of guidance. Some of them started to go off the rails. They were worshipping worshiping a false god. And they were living in a way not pleasing to God. And these words are an expression of how to be devoted to God, but also how to live with those around us. But we've got to look at the context. The covenant between God and Israel, which contains not only the Ten Commandments, but most of the Jewish law, is a covenant that occurred in a timeline that went from creation by Noah and Abraham all the way through to be fulfilled by Jesus. This is a covenant that's merely a point on the road, on our way, from God to Eden to full salvation in Christ. One scholar I read said that this law for Israel is really a babysitter. It's like a guardian until Christ comes. And it's certainly true that the Old Testament points to the covenant being temporary. If you read Jer- Jeremiah 31, they explain it far better than I have. Jeremiah 31 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, so I was welcome to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So we know that God intended the covenant with Israel, which includes the Ten Commandments. We know from the New Testament that Jesus creates a new covenant between all believers, not just the Israelites. Jesus says at the Last Supper in Luke 12, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. And Paul, when writing to the Corinthians, says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit is right. The old covenant, and that by that I mean the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Jewish law, is superseded by Jesus. Paul teaches us in his letter to the Hebrews. He quotes a bit from Jeremiah, and he says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what he got to do is it will soon disappear. This is why Paul could explain to the Galatians, for example, that they could be believers without following the old Jewish requirement of circumcision. They were no longer subject to the old covenant. So thankfully, the new covenant removes all the old Jewish laws, including the need for circumcision, for animal sacrifice, the need to abstain from certain foods, and the need to worship in certain ways. But what about the Ten Commandments themselves? Is Jesus the Our passage today begins with a really powerful statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Just in case people were unsure why God should be obeyed, they were reminded straight away. 
I am God, the one who got you out of the place you were in. And the first commandment is there, you shall have no other gods before me. So God establishes the basis for the commands. They're not arbitrary rules, but ones that come from God who got them out of Eden and delivered them from the The call to have no other gods is a call to follow only him. To recognise that only he has that redemptive power and only he can be our soul. The second command warns against creating and worshipping false idols. And of course, this isn't just false gods like, say, the Romans ended up following. God knows how much we like things, how easily we can get distracted by anything and everything that takes our fancy. The challenge not to let anything take the place of God in our life. To avoid anything that turns us from him. And then the people are told not to take the name of the Lord in vain. That's pretty self-explanatory, and it's important we don't let our language detract from the power and majesty of God. God deserves our respect. There's a fourth command, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The people were directed specifically to set aside the day to be with God. So the first four commands are about Israel's relationship with God. The last six are about how they live with each other. Number five is my personal favourite, if you're a parent. Honour your father and mother. Parents, you've got a vital role in bringing out the next generation in faith. But we as children must do what our parents And then from here, the commandments switch from do's to don'ts. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cover anything that belongs to somebody else. The first thing that strikes me about that is that these ten words, these commandments, they are not by any means the pinnacle of what we should aspire to. These really are the lowest common denominators, aren't they? They've been distilled down to their most basic. If you turn it around, it's almost saying, the least we can do is not kill someone if they upset us. The least we can do is not sin for each other. The least we can do is not worship any other gods. And perhaps you notice the other thing, that only the, whilst only the first four commandments deal with how to worship the God, they're by far the biggest amount of words. The lion's share of the commands actually talk about how the Israelites should relate to God. And there's a basis for the others. The do not are pretty short and sharp. The do not are designed to rein us in from our natural state. God knows we're the same humans that could have great temptation in the garden of Eden. God knows we're liable to argue, even to the point of killing each other. God knows we're liable to steal and cheat and tell our truths about our Jesus. He knows that we look at other people and want what they have. Unfortunately, he knows all. And so he asked us to follow these simple rules, which were designed to help the Israelites take good life and bring them back for the slippery slope that they started to go So all the people had to do was follow the rules that God had laid out, which we know from reading on the Bible that they did, because it wasn't long before Moses got there was making the golden calf and declaring it to be God, which brought God's punishment on thousands of people as God had promised in his covenant. But what does all that mean for us? Well, 
Jesus himself tells us how important the commandments are to us. I want to take you to Matthew 5, the story of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just spoken about the Beatitudes. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those in one. And then he makes it clear that his purpose in his life is not to replace, but to build on the ancient law. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He hasn't come to rip up the rules, he's come to explain them to us, to help us understand them. Jesus tells us that the commandments mean much more than what is written. That there is a spirit of the law as well as a letter. Jesus provides us with a new way of looking at these rules. A way that makes much more sense to us once we know Jesus. Jesus takes our understanding and turns it from a simple kickbox exercise, have I murdered anyone? to a much more nuanced position where anger or harboring of grudge is wrong. Matthew 5, verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying that anger and forgiveness in us is just as wrong. And he emphasizes that reconciliation and love for those around us. That is essential. Jesus, in detailing and expanding the meaning of these commands, moves the way we look at them from something that should be obeyed to something that should be lived. We're challenged not just to look at our actions, but the motives that lie behind the actions. Does he basically then further proof that the commandments and us go no further than Matthew 22? You might remember that that is the story of Jesus being questioned by some religious teachers of the time. They were trying to trick him up as usual. One, who was a so-called expert in the law, asked him, which is the greatest commandment? To which Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the Lord and prophets hang on these two commandments. And you might notice Jesus doesn't actually quote verbatim the words from Exodus, but instead he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all the heart, and with all the soul and all the strength. This isn't Jesus giving us new rules as much as refocusing the old ones. And the beauty of his reply is that yes, he answers the question and gives us a second most important commandment as well, but he explains at a stroke the light in which all of this should be seen. What I mean by that is if you consider the meaning of each of the commandments in the light of what Jesus says, you can see how we're really supposed to interpret it. But let's face it, rules always need interpretation. Jesus solves the problem for us on how we're to interpret it. Make sure God and those around us are at the heart of whatever we decide. So there is Exodus 20 about rules. Taken on its own, it is, and for the Israelites it was. It was a rule book with consequences if those rules were broken. But in the light of our salvation through Jesus, it's more of a pointer to a better way. The commandments taken on their own are almost like a phase God's people have to get through on the way to something better, on the way to the next bit of God's master plan. 
when Jesus came along to clarify it all. Now we know the commandments are merely the least we should be and do. And despite the commandments being contained in a covenant that no longer applies, of course we should follow what Jesus said so. However, we live in the age of the new covenant. We have the benefit of Jesus' teaching on us, and we can look for fresh at those rules through the lens that is Jesus. However you interpret the Ten Commandments, is up to you. But if you consider all of these in the light that you love God and you love your fellow human, you want to go far more. I would go as far as to say that a love for Jesus and an obedience of those two principal rules he asks us to live by means you want me to consider the other. To put that back in terms I can understand. Yes, we still need to be told which side of the road to drive on, but we don't need to be told not to pay again or cut somebody off, or drive dangerously, or to become impatient with a learner driver. Looking at the commandments through the lens of Jesus, we are changed from a procedural rule-following people to a people of love. That is the key to the Ten Commandments for someone who knows Jesus. It's not about rules. It's about love.